Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Busy week it is. Oh my gosh, we have a lot to get through. Today, early signing day, bowl game on Friday. Uh, It's going to be a jam-packed episode, and I hope you're ready for it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Charge On. As always, I am your host, Sean Green. Before we get started, as always, a quick word from our sponsor, Bet Online. All the major pro sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off. BetOnline is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember, use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Nick, we were just talking before we got on. It's crazy right now. I mean, now granted, I was saying like, because UCF game is on Friday, it's a little bit more hectic compared to some of the other, you know, people that maybe have their games on like the 27th, 28th. Because UCF game is on Friday, we've got early signing day today and we're going to get to all of the people that have committed and uh, made this the best class in UCF history beating last year's. Uh, But kind of, how are you doing first? And are you ready to go through the crazy amount of news that we have piled onto our desk to talk about? I'm just trying to keep up with everything. And it's like you said, it's absolute madness. We talked about it last time I was on at the schedule. Um, it's just ridiculous, but it is what it is. I don't think it's ever going to change. Um, yeah, you mentioned off the top. I mean, UCF has a bowl game on Friday here in my backyard, by the way. And I wouldn't even know they were playing in one, to be honest with you. It, it feels so secondary. And yeah. I hate that it's like that, but you even have the bigger bowls. Like the Orange Bowl feels very irrelevant this year, right? With Florida and Georgia, Florida State and Georgia just in the consolation bowl and so many guys opting out. So that's kind of bowl season. We'll get to that, obviously, later. But with recruiting, um, I knew it was going to be crazy. Shame on me. I woke up a little bit later than I needed to this morning. I woke up and I logged onto Twitter immediately and I got Gus going boom, 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 boom all day. And I'm like, what did I miss? What did I miss? And I had to catch up all caught up now as we do this show. And UCF at this point at the time of recording seems like they're pretty much uh, all but wrapped up. Could have some, you know, never show close the door for good, but it feels like probably wrapped up uh, and we'll get into it. But off the top, I mean, they held on to every recruit they have except for one. Uh, the receiver that went to West Virginia uh, who decided to to flip. But outside of that, they kept everything else intact. And that's a good sign because we talked about it you know, last time as well. It seemed like things were quiet on the recruiting front. And maybe that was a sign that they felt confident and who they had and nothing crazy is going to happen. And that's exactly what took place. So given the craziness that tends to happen on these days, I think that's a win for UCF so far. Yeah, I for some reason in my head, uh, I woke up right before 9 a.m. thinking, yep, that's when everything's going to start dropping is 9 a.m. Yeah, I was an hour late. It was it was 8 a.m. And UCF basically released every single uh, signing day graphic within the first 20 minutes uh, after 8. So, um, yeah, I had all the news when I woke up and wanted to tweet out about every single player like I did last year. Well, that wasn't going to happen this year. I was too late. Um, But we're going to get into all of the signing day madness. Not really madness for UCF, but we're going to talk about every player and kind of what we think they can bring to UCF. Before I do that, guys, please like, subscribe, share, comment. I'm going to say that at the front because, again, long episode. And also, I want to appreciate everybody that's bought hats so far. Again, we have very limited quantities of these hats. Um, I don't know if you could see them on YouTube. I don't know if I cut it in post, but we've got all the hats available around me. Uh, We have the Etsy shop link down below if you want to buy one. I'll also be at the bowl game on Friday. I'll be bringing the hats. So if you're like, I don't want to pay for shipping. I just want to get the hat on the the bowl game day and I want to wear it at the game. 
find me. I'll be kind of tweeting out throughout the day and and you can buy yourself one of the hats. And again, I appreciate anybody that's bought one so far. We greatly appreciate it here at Charge On. All right, let's get into the signing day players, right? Nick mentioned it. UCF really only lost one. It was Day Day Farmer. He flipped to West Virginia. Nick, we've been kind of seeing... I don't know. We've kind of known about this for about a week or so. Not many UCF fans did, but again, social media is your best friend. Uh, He's been liking tweets. He's been retweeting stuff about flipping. So not a huge shocker. And again, uh, we had nine four-star prospects. Now we have eight, and UCF really didn't move much in the uh, greater overall scheme. Before we get into all the players individually, Nick, again, we had an episode last year where we, obviously, you had John Walker, you had Isaiah Nixon, you had huge players in this class. And we were saying, this is obviously the biggest class in UCF history, bar none. And then we talked and we said, well, this 24 class coming up could break that. Like, in back-to-back years. And every single year Gus has been here, he's had basically the school's highest recruiting class in school history. Before we go into all these players, kind of give your overall take on this class, who's, again... You know, recruiting-wise, record-wise, I think has beaten that again in just back-to-back years. Yeah, I think as things stand right now, and a lot, all the recruiting services are differently. Um, On3 has them as 33 in the nation. I think the other ones have them just inside the top 30. So whichever way you look at it, it's a top, at worst, it's a top 35 class in the nation. And I think that's pretty important because this is just the second recruiting cycle and really the first full recruiting cycle that they've had as a member of the Big 12. And the fact that they were able to land, as things stand, the number two class or number three in the entire Big 12, just behind Texas Tech and or TCU. Again, all these all the recruiting services are a little bit different. That's a big win as far as I'm concerned. I think you have eight blue chip prospects in this class, I believe over the past eight years, that's exactly the number you signed in those eight years. So think about that. Yeah. You lose a four-star guy in Day Day Farmer, and you don't even move really in the recruiting in the in the rankings essentially. Um, and the position you lost there, you still signed three other receivers, and typically, especially under Gus, that's a position of strength as we've talked about on this show. So I don't think you really lose much from that. And Farmer, I mean, he was committed to Pitt, then he committed to UCF. Uh, he's already flipped before, obviously, and then made the flip today to West Virginia. So best wishes to him, obviously. Uh, but yes, this is what this is why Gus Malzahn is very valuable to the program. Whatever you think of him as a head coach, um, if you have concerns there that we've kind of voiced on this show, recruiting is definitely up his alley. Shout out Kingdom NIL, it appears they came through as well. And now that things are kind of set in stone, you can kind of continue to put the finishing touches on the transfer portal. And UCF still has some stuff wide open with there. They've only brought in, I think, three or four guys so far. We're expecting more, obviously. But yes, early early uh, indication of this class. This is a good one. You have one of your top players ever coming in and Jaden Hayward, the safety uh, out of Rockledge, Florida, that was a big one. So I think everything Gus said that he was going to do on the recruiting trail, I think that has held true so far. And again, this is only in the first full recruiting cycle in the Big 12. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And eventually UCF, I think, is as well positioned as anybody in the Big 12 alongside the Colorados of the world and Texas Tech to almost take a stranglehold on recruiting in this conference. Yeah, I already know what our episode is next week uh we haven't even talked about kj jefferson news and that ucf is looking like they're primed to potentially take a stab at him uh in the transfer portals slash cycle but again that's we have too much news to get into that is a afterthought of what we're getting into uh this episode but let's let's start talking about these guys nick i mean you kind of mentioned it uh jalen hayward uh, he was a guy, and we'll, he's the John Walker of this class. Um, we're going off on three rankings, but I know if you go to like 247, he's, I think, the number four highest rated recruit in UCF history, uh, which again, if you look at the top 25 like highest rated recruits in UCF history, they've all come in the last three years, basically. I mean, it's probably half or over more than half. Uh, Jalen Hayward was originally committed to Georgia, 
I guess it's good for UCF. UCF did not let up. They continued to recruit this kid out of Rockledge, Florida, uh, and they beat out Georgia, which, listen, Georgia has a lot of safeties. I think that kind of played into it. But at one time, Jalen Hayward was a top five, top seven safety in the class. Um, Obviously, you know, I'm not going to get into uh, politics and how uh, sometimes when a kid commits to a certain school that maybe isn't necessarily name brand or the highest, you know, of the top 10 in schools, they drop these kids down in recruiting rankings. At one time, he was a 90, he would have been UCF's number one rated recruit. Uh, he's dropped down a little bit, but kind of, uh, we heard that he's going to be playing corner. Uh, that was got that got announced today by Addison Williams that they're going to move him to corner because of his length um, and how he could play on the outside. So Nick, kind of talk about a little bit about Jalen Hayward. Again, he is... He's the John Walker of this class, and you signed, again, defensively in the last two classes, you've really put in some work, uh, especially on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think that's what you uh, really need to focus on because this is a conference that obviously historically loves to score points. We'll see how that looks with the the new look that's coming in. Uh, but still, having a, a solid defense is something that is huge to UCF. And to all these teams, we saw that play out this past year where UCF really struggled on that side of the ball for stretches. And that was a big reason why they ended up being six and six and not getting to a different level. Still love six and six, but could have gotten a little bit better if they had better defense. Now, that did improve down the stretch, and that was big. And Addison Williams, I mean, clearly, hats off to him. Um, I believe he was the primary recruiter here for Jalen Hayward, Yep, um, as well as as David Gibbs. So kudos to those two guys for getting this done. It, it seemed like, you know, when he committed um, originally in August, I believe it was, there was really no talk of movement, no talk of flipping, none of that. They stayed loyal to him. He stayed loyal to them. And to your point, playing cornerback, I think he's probably more valuable there than at the safety position. Uh, cornerback, cornerback is the more premium position, I would probably say. So it's a big deal to get him in your program. And I think as John Walker was, he could potentially be a guy that you're going to see is going to play right away. Maybe not in a starting role, kind of like John was, but I think he's a guy that you're going to see play right away next season at some in some capacity. Yeah, I think the two guys that come to mind where you say uh, definitely could – kind of mirror, not necessarily in the position, because again, Nakai is playing that night position, more of a safety, not necessarily a corner. Um, and then this year, obviously you have, you know, a couple other freshmen uh, playing. You mentioned John Walker and guys of that nature. Um, you could see him obviously taking that probably backup corner. And again, you'll, you'll see different guys moving in, uh, but he could definitely get some PT early. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Nakai because I think he's a great example He's also up there among the top recruits that UCF has landed um, historically, and that came in the, the in the recent years here under Gus Malzahn. Nakai made plays to me that are just uh, guys that are lesser than him from a recruiting standpoint, just from a talent standpoint, just don't make. It's little things. And I think you'll yeah. see more splash plays out of him moving forward. I think that's the whole point here is clearly once you get on campus, it stops becoming so much about how you were recruited and it becomes about how much the staff can develop you. You still got to have your, your head screwed on straight and all those things, but stockpiling talent and top end talent is extremely important because more often than not, you're going to get more hits out of those guys than misses. And I don't think UCF has really had any misses on those top end talents that they've brought in so far. You look at the success that John Walker had. I mean, that's a guy that we think is going to play on Sundays at some point, whenever he decides to, to enter. So that's the whole goal here. Hayward clearly brings that along with Nakai, along with John Walker. And if you can continue to get those guys, and again, like I said, moving forward, I think those are the guys that UCF is going to be in recruiting with. Yeah, we didn't even mention Braden Marshall. But again, another freshman comes in and account kind of not starting but backup role and makes plays. I mean, makes plays. So would not be shocked uh, to see him. But he is the guy that is headlining this class. Um, but again, you mentioned eight blue chip prospects. Uh, so he's headlining it. But again, most of these guys in the last two years would have been one of the top two signees uh, for UCF's class. We'll talk about a couple other of the uh, corner slash safety. Jacob Good, another blue chip prospect for the Knights. A lot of these guys are from Georgia. Georgia and Florida were kind of the uh, the 
the guys that UCF went after, which, you know, they should, given uh, the miles from Orlando that these guys are. Um, Jacob Goode, uh, again, I think they said he was going to play more of a slot role um, and play that slot corner role. He's from Langston Hughes, Georgia. Again, blue chip, four-star, um, 5'11". And then there's one other one, Christian Peterson. He's from Atlanta, Georgia, a safety in high school. Um, I think they might keep him there. I forgot what. Um, Addison Williams said, but he's again another safety slash corner from Georgia. Um, he's a three star on on three. I think he's a three star or no, uh, he's a blue chip on ESPN. So four star rated on ESPN, but everywhere else he is a three star. Um, but those are kind of your safety slash corners. And again, Nick, when you get in, when you have a defensive you know coordinator that is a realistically DB coach like Addison Williams, it helps you get some of those guys. So. Um, it's huge to bring those guys in. You're losing Corey Thornton next year. You've got a bunch of guys you brought in transfers this past cycle to kind of make up for maybe some of the losses you're going to lose this offseason. But again, when you back it up with a lot of classes where you're bringing in some of these corners and safeties, it's stockpiling that, getting ready for some of these departures. Yep, and, and that's, again, that's modern college football. I mean, you look at the transfer portal, and this, not just UCF, but every other program, big-time programs. You have big-time players who have played a lot that are leaving big-time programs, and that stuff is so random. It's going to happen. Um, so, again, it's important to stockpile, and you can win through the transfer portal. I think some schools have proven that, some of the portal kings that are out there. Um, UCF has certainly used the portal to their advantage. I mean, their entire offense outside of Alec Holler was made up of transfers uh, these past two years. So that yeah. tells you how important the portal is, but I still believe that it's a big deal to get those blue chip guys in in your own recruiting class first because then you can develop them sort of at your own pace. And I still think that's mm -hmm. very important. So again, stockpile talent. And if you look up and down this class, we've talked about the secondary. They definitely went went in on that hard. part of their... Uh, they went hard on that team, on that part of the team. <laughs> but... They uh they brought in I think a player at every single position at least across offense and defense. They were able to get at least one player I think all across the board. Um, I tell you what, the player that I'm I'm still very excited about. I'm sure you are you are as well. He was another guy who had committed sort of early. Was Kylan Fox the tight end? Another yeah. guy from Georgia. I mean, just on paper, assuming that you were able to keep both guys down the road. I mean, you have, I think the tight end room was something that had been lacking from a high end talent standpoint. And now you have Randy Pittman, who showed a lot last year in a smaller role, got more playing time as the season went on. He's going to be your tight end one this year. I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. And yep. now Kylan Fox has the ability, I think, to be right along there with him. And we already talked about the strength of receivers. They got two backs in this class as well. Obviously, we haven't heard what's going on with RJ, but it seems like there's a chance potentially he returns. We don't know. Cross your fingers there, but they've stockpiled at a lot of positions. Yeah, we'll quickly get into it. Um, closing out, well, and we'll talk Kylan Fox first, but you mentioned the the safeties and the corners and the DBs, really, and they added, I think, five because we talked about three of them. They added Chasen Johnson uh, from Seminole, uh, San played at Sanford, Florida, and he's a corner. And then they also added Jashad Presley, another guy from Orlando, plays at Dr. Phillips. Uh, he's a 6'1 safety. So, and again, these guys are kind of on the bottom necessarily of, again, stars or recruiting, which you know at Charger on we don't really care about. Um, but you're getting three stars that are rated 85, 80, 285 overall, three stars. So, I mean, there are a bunch of Power 5 programs that would love to add guys like that and probably will be one of the top safeties or corners in a lot of these classes. For UCF, they're fourth and fifth on the list of highest rated coming into the class. So corner and safety-wise, you're 100% right. Um, let's go into the offense a little bit, and then we'll go offense, defense, switch it back and forth. Um, let's go Kylan Fox. I mean, he's kind of the, the, the headliner, you would say. I mean, Frankie Arthur, according to rankings, but we'll get into the running backs after Kylan. Kylan was the one that I think a lot of UCF fans really targeted. You've mentioned it. The tight end room has been lacking just a little bit of productivity when it comes to just more of a receiving. I know we kind of use tight ends more as a blocking scheme, which you've seen in some of our recent uh, commits and transfers. They're more so guys that can come in and just block really well, be a really good utility guy. 
listen, you added two guys in the last two years that can really go block and catch the ball. And Kylan Fox is that. Randy Pittman, you have him as your tight end one going into next year. Kylan Fox is more of a tight end wide receiver kind of combination. Man can run, man can catch, man can block. So what do you like out of Kylan Fox? And what can you see if, I mean, Randy Pittman and him can definitely be on the field together at the same time. And that's not good for some defenses. Right. You kind of mentioned it there. He kind of could do everything for you. And he's the highest rated tight end that they've ever signed as well. Again, that just shows you how much of a landmark class this was. And he's another guy that really never wavered from his commitment to UCF. I, I believe he took a an OV to Mississippi State, I think last week. But even when that, well, that was going on, you know, he put out a little tweet. And I know tweets are all, they're all so funny because everybody loves the troll. Uh, but he immediately put it out there. I'm a knight. And he held true to that. And he was one of the first guys yep. to get locked up today and put pen to paper. So you love to see that. Yeah, like I said, he's the one I, I really poke out to because I love where Randy Pittman is so far after just one year as a true freshman and his development. And he was a guy that you were able to take away from an in-state program in Florida State as well, which I think is a big deal. Um, and then to be able to hold off Kylan from going to an SEC school, also a big deal. So those two guys of the future, like I said, if you can keep them together, uh, I like the size that he has. He probably could even put on more size realistically if he really wanted to. Yep. And you get him in the strength program development. Again, that's the whole part of this whole deal. I think you'll probably see that. So Kylan is definitely, I think for me, was the most important player they landed on the offensive side of the ball in this class. For sure. Let's go into a couple running backs. Uh, you had Stacy Gage, which was the kind of like the first one where, again, blue chip. We're talking about blue chip start, but uh, Stacy Gage played at IMG um, or St. Thomas Aquinas uh, this past season. He was a blue chip, and you're like, oh, wow, that's a big get because obviously we know who's coming in 2025, or at least we hope we know who's coming in 2025 and Tavion Swint. Um, that's going to be a dogfight with Florida State. Uh, but you you get him committed, and then you get Frankie Arthur from Oak Ridge in Conroe, Texas, and you're like, you have two blue chip running backs signed in one class. That only happens at the top programs because at the top programs know, listen, we're going to develop you as a running back. And and again, I think a lot of these running backs, Knicks, are, are seeing the scheme and the offense that UCF is running. And I think maybe... Again, when Hypo was here in Frost, it was wide receiver U. Wide receivers wanted to come here, not saying they don't want to now, because again, you see the class, we've got three or four signed in one class. But I think when you can get two two blue chip running backs signed and another blue chip committed in the class ahead of them, it only proves to you that running backs are looking at UCF and saying, I want to go play there because I'm going to get fed the ball. I'm going to get a chance to lead the country in rushing yards if I'm that good of a player. Right. I feel like that's another position they've developed really well over the past few years. I mean, UCF has been pretty deep at that position as well. And you look at the success RJ Harvey has had in the offense, and he really was, you know, the bell cow for the team this season. So I'm sure that was big. And even to Stacey Gage, we've talked about this too. You almost forget about him because it's, I think it's next year's class, but Tavion Swint, um, yep. who I believe was his teammate down there at St. Thomas Aquinas. So I think that was a big thing for him. That they could be a... Did I get that right? They're, they were teammates, right? I don't think so. Because Tavion plays at Osceola. There so was a relationship there, wasn't there? No, I think there's a relation... They, there's definitely a relationship with the two of them. Because even when Stacy Gage committed, it wasn't like... I don't think Stacy was re really on UCF's radar or, you know, vice versa. I think it wasn't until Tavion... And then post a picture together with Stacey H taking a visit. We were like, oh, that's kind of a shocker. Uh, but yeah, they've got a relationship, but I don't think they play together. Yeah, you're right. They did not. I don't think they played together either. I'm checking that now, actually. They will. If, right. he, uh, if he if he stays committed to UCF, then they will be Obviously, teammates in yeah. a year. Uh, but yeah, I know I remember that somewhere that they had a relationship. And I think Stacey had talked about that or Swint had talked about that. Being teammates yeah. together was a big thing for them. So Whatever the case, uh, definitely excited about that. Stacy again, he's a four-star guy, so he's one of your top running back recruits that you've ever had. You were able to get him over four absolute bona fide stud programs in the nation as well, and you got him early. And again, that commitment never wavered from him. Didn't hear much from him the entire year, and that ended up being a good thing. And then Frankie, uh, Frankie Arthur, 
like you mentioned, I mean, he's the one that's more kind of heralded than Stacy. So I'm sure there's going to be some more buzz around him as well. Uh, he was a number, he was a top 230 player in the on three rankings, top 20 running back as well. And so you're able to get both of them. You know, when you stockpile talent, of course, I mean, there's always that risk of not everybody's going to stay. Yeah. And that's likely going to happen. But for right now, just get as many as you can on campus and you'll see who rises to the top. And so bringing in two guys like that, again, it's a very big deal. And so Frankie Arthur, Stacy Gage, again, continue to stockpile talent at these positions. No doubt. Let's go back to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, we've got a couple linebackers and a defensive lineman. Uh, Quay Birdsong. Uh, I, th- I think that's how you say it. you can I, I say Quay, uh, but I'm, I know I'm probably pronouncing that wrong wrong. Uh, we talked about him uh, when he flipped. Uh, he was originally a Cincinnati commit. Uh, we love taking them Cincinnati guys, uh, but originally committed to Cincinnati, too, by the way. Uh, yeah, Miles Montgomery. Uh, again, we're going to talk about transfer portal later on because I'm sure there's going to be a lot more commits here in the next coming weeks. But um Again, linebacker is a position of pure need, and I think UCF has really gone out, especially in the last two classes, and really kind of made sure to get that position. Quay Birdsong from Troop County. I'm in Georgia. A six two and a half um, as a linebacker. Again, uh, really good get. He was kind of the number one linebacker on UCF's board uh, when he still was committed to Cincinnati. He visited UCF a couple times, and then we kind of figured he was going to flip. Uh, DJ McCormick, another linebacker. Again, he's teammates with Jalen Hayward uh, at Rockledge. Uh, he's a six foot one ninety linebacker. Again, he's very uh, he's great on Twitter. Retweets everybody UCF stuff. He was like the one guy I was so confident would not flip, even though it looks like nobody did flip. Uh, so he's been a UCF commit for a while. He's a three star. And then Marcus Downs, Nick. Marcus Downs, defensive lineman of the number one defensive tackle in South Carolina. He just committed a week ago. Uh, I mean, not really a surprise because we heard some rumblings that he was gonna he was interested in UCF, but. Um, after a year after you go get John Walker and stuff, you get a guy like Marcus Downs, uh, who, again, in South Carolina, really put on a show. So um, when you look at linebackers in D-line, I mean, again, the last class, Nick, it's we we added to that room, too. And Andrew Harris, I know you added. You obviously added an Isaiah Nixon on the edge and Andrew Rumpf and John Walker. So, again, you're seeing the trend with Gus Malzahn having his time and being able to recruit the guys along with the staff to really fill out this roster with his type of guys. Yeah, and I, I think my favorite of the ones there is is probably Birdsong. Um, and I love yeah. the fact they're able to get him away from Cincinnati. And I remember when he committed, you know, again, I give hats off here to to Ernie Sims. He was one of the guys that he shouted out. That was a big deal in him committing to UCF. The obvious here of why this class is so good, and 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 he kind of had said this too, was them being in the Big Twelve and getting to a better stature from a conference standpoint. That played a big role in his commitment. And then it basically came down to, okay, what are the advantages of UCF? What are the advantages of of Cincinnati? And UCF won out in that end, and so you get a guy. Another four, star, another four star linebacker in there, at a position that again you needed. You had a big hole there. I think we talked about the linebacker play this past season. Really, just was not up to par for the most part. I know Jason Johnson got all these awards um, in the season. Uh, We're not going to talk about it. I won't talk, talk about, about it. it. I didn't. I maybe he, my he'll eyes make an deceived. NFL roster. He'll make an NFL roster. He's good. maybe my eyes deceived me a little bit, Sean, or or whatever, but. I don't know. Good for him. I'll just put it that way. You just have to get more talent at the end of the day, I think, in those positions. Um, yeah. And so getting him was was a big deal. Downs as well, another guy. I think he could put on more weight as well. Um, I think he's sitting at like 250 right now. You know, I think he could probably stand to put a little bit more on there as long as the athleticism obviously doesn't go away with that. So, mm-hmm. again, I do like both those additions. Very productive players in high school as well. So shout out again. Defensive staff here, I think, did a did a great job. For sure. That kind of rounds out the defensive side of the ball. We're going to finish out with the offensive side, and we'll go to quarterbacks last because I know that's what everybody wants to talk about. And I guess journalism 101, I guess I should have started with that, uh, is what the people wanted. But uh, make the people wait. 
Um, one of my favorite signings of the entire class is Walt Claire Flynn. Obviously, a lot of people wanted um, another offensive lineman that ended up going to Oklahoma, but we're going to discuss the one that stayed committed to UCF basically throughout the entire recruiting process. Uh, teammate of Kylan Fox, again, UCF keeping up with the theme of uh, recruiting teammates. Uh, he also went to Grayson in Georgia. Another blue chip guy. I could totally see him starting at center maybe from day one. Um, he's already built big, 6'1", 305. Obviously, I agree with Nick. With some of these guys, obviously, as a freshman coming in, you need to put on a little bit of weight. I do think he can put up maybe a little bit more, um, but he's already pretty big, and I think if he comes in and he really does well early on um, at center, I think he can give some of these guys a run for their money to start year one. I think he's that good. Um, another offensive lineman, uh, Chase Malamala, um, he is in Florida. He uh, is from the Benjamin School in North Palm Beach. Um, again, he's big guy, 6'7", offensive tackle. Again, Herb Hand is just a guy that likes to get these bruisers at the offensive line position. He's done really well um, in the last couple years. Let's really quickly talk about the wide receivers, and then I'll throw it to Nick before we get into quarterbacks, obviously. Again, Nick brought it up. Many wide receivers um, kind of headlined by Burdell Richardson, another blue, uh, blue chip prospect um, from Carrollwood Day in Tampa. Again, next side of the woods right there, six foot 190. Um, he can really he can really play, which all these guys can. Cason uh, Stokes, another wide receiver, uh, Riverview, Florida, six uh, two. Um, can really go up and get it. If you watch his tape, he is a special receiver. And then Jordan Bridgewater um, from Winter Garden, Florida, right down the road, six foot, 163, speed guy, can break away, has breakaway speed. Um, so you sign three wide receivers in one class. Um, so I'll throw it to you, Nick. Obviously, you get three wide receivers, two offensive linemen. This was really an offensive class. Um, they really went out and got a lot of offensive players. And again, more so to scheme and maybe not necessarily the top guys. But when you get a couple blue chips on the offensive line and receiver room, I mean, you're doing pretty good in a class. Yeah, and fun fact, Kaysen, uh, you mentioned Kaysen Stokes, Riverview. That's literally right down the road from where I live over here in, hey, there you uh, go. in Lithia. And he went to my mom's high school, which is Armwood, which if you're not familiar, has been a powerhouse uh, producing high-end talent for a long time in the Bay Area, so very excited about it. Are very excited about Casey Stokes and what he his potential in this offense. Uh, Burdell, like you mentioned as well, another guy from from uh, Tampa at Carrollwood Day, able to just get him from again several big-time programs. I think that was a big deal. Um, the offensive line, you mentioned that position as well. And, and Walt Claire, again, he's another one of my favorite guys. I think they, they were able to bring it in this class. And I think they clearly have big plans for them because if you listen to him when he talked when he first committed, I think he used words like they were the only school to like literally like pour out the red carpet for him and made him yep. feel special. And that was a big deal. So I think that's another player that UCF identified early on as a guy they wanted to kind of build this class around, be one of those building blocks and able to get him. I mean, that was a guy that was highly sought after around the country with the traits that he has. So get that guy into UCF's campus and see what the development and Herb Hand can do with this guy. Definitely excited for that. Like you mentioned, this is a large part of this is an offensive class. Uh, so why don't we move over to quarterbacks, why don't we? You know, that's always the fun, right? Yeah, well now, see that's the thing. It was going to be a pretty straight and narrow forward with one, but now you add two. Uh, we'll go to the one that's technically the older of the two, uh, which is Riley Trujillo. We've been talking about him. Again, gosh, it feels like for the last year, he's been clear-cut UCF commit for a long time. Uh, six, two and a half, 200. Uh, played for Barnum Trail in Jacksonville. Again, that's he was right when Henshaw really got the job, he committed. Uh, he's been a, Hins a Hinshaw guy. He plays like a Hinshaw guy. Um, if you go watch him play, really talented. Again, I see a similar similarities with him and Dylan Risk, but again, that's more so just the type of quarterback. Uh, he had offers from Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Arkansas, and Kansas, just to name a few. Um, but he was the first one. And then the shocker we got last week, Nick, was EJ Colson. Uh, he was the 2025 quarterback commit that we all were 
I think UCF fans are really high on because they watch his tape and it, it kind of just wows them a little bit. Um, six foot from Cedar Grove, just won a state title. Um, threw 31 touchdowns and one interception in this past uh, high school season, which I, any quarterback that does that, you get somebody's attention. Uh, again, clear-cut UCF uh, quarterback when you just watch how he plays. Had offers from Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, um, gosh, who else? A bunch. Uh, UAB, Nebraska. And even the, the big-time programs like Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, they all had him on campus at one point as well. Yeah. Um, I think, here's my thing. I think if, honestly, I think if he played one more co- high school season, he would have piled up a lot more offers. Uh, like, a lot more. He still had a good amount, but especially after this high school season, but he's been, again, a clear-cut night. So I'm going to let the floor go to you. You have two quarterbacks here. I think there is a clear-cut agenda by UCF fans for one of them because I think the excitement for one of them was just a lot higher. But kind of what do you see out of these two guys? And again, the youth movement at quarterback if you look at the quarterback room for UCF. Yeah, um, you mentioned there's more excitement for one of these guys, and that's obviously going to be EJ Colson. And that's no disrespect to, to Riley Trujillo. I mean, again, it's about stockpiling these positions and getting as many guys as you can. Yep. But we've kind of talked about this. It feels like Gus is still trying to figure out, or at least from the outside looking in, we're talking about it, that you've got to be able to develop a quarterback in one of these recruiting classes. And it didn't end up being Mikey Keene. It didn't end up being Thomas Castellanos. Those guys both split because Gus, I think, really wanted to... I, Sounds crazy saying this because this is obviously the goal, but you know, win games. Anyone to get that surefire guy in there that had the experience, and that was JRP. But you know, they've already let two very talented guys out the building. Now EJ Colson comes in, and you talk about excited to get to UCF. I mean, there's obviously a reason why he decided to reclassify as a 2024 guy as opposed to 2025, and he's going to be on campus right away. Remains to be seen if he's really going to have a role in 2024. Uh, like you said, he he was he reclassified, so he's still going to be raw in some aspects. So I don't know if you'll see much of him next year. But for the future, and I think Henshaw told them this, they view him as the the face of the program and one of those building blocks, especially at the most important position. Not to put too much on the kid already, but I think that's the expectation. Is that EJ Colson? Which is, is crazy going to be, for a seventeen-year-old that right. wasn't even supposed to be in this class. That people are already saying QB one, right? Seventeen-year-old like EJ Colson is going to go into the swamp and beat Florida. Correct. I mean, we got to we got to pump the brakes there. EJ Colson, <laughs> I'm re- I'm willing to put a lot on it that he will not be your quarterback, uh, your starting quarterback next year. I mean, unless he just absolutely just blows it away or whatever. But I don't see that happening. I think we got to let this guy breathe a little bit, but just be happy that he's here and he has a lot of excitement to be in your program. He, he feels like a knight already and he hasn't even, you know, officially like got into the program until today. So, you know, I think until then it's all wait and see, but there's going to be a lot of expectations on EJ Colson. And I think this is a, this is one of the most important players, I think, in the era, the beginning era here of Gus Malzahn is going to end up being EJ Colson and how you can develop him. And there's a good relationship between him and Henshaw as well. And with Henshaw running the offense, you know, it's probably going to be catered to EJ at some point down the line, probably more looking at 2025 there at, at best. So again, we probably need to pump the brakes. I know I just put expectations on him, but we probably realistically <laughs> need to pump the brakes. He's not stepping into the swamp next year or anything like that. Um, and nor should he. Highest rated uh, quarterback recruit in UCF history. I get why fans are showing the love. Um, but yeah, there's a reason UCF is going very hardcore after all of these portal quarterbacks. They are looking for a one-year rental and they are giving... This is how it's going to be. Now, I might be wrong on this. Um, EJ's coming now. Uh, EJ's coming in May. He's not coming in January like Riley Trujillo is. Riley's going to get the whole spring to practice. EJ's coming in May because again... He's reclassifying. If he was able to get a year and a half of school done to be able to come to UCF in January, I would like, I was, it did not shock me at all. He's coming in May. For the people that are saying QB1, listen, it is an open competition between him, 
Dylan Risk, and Riley Trujillo. Those are your three youngsters that are on the roster that kind of you're going to look at in practice if you're the coaches and say, who's the best out of these three? Who is just far and better superior? Who realistically, this is no strain at Timmy McClain. Timmy McClain can clearly be your QB1 next year. But it's very obvious that the coaching staff is clearly going after a transfer quarterback for a reason. They're clearly going after it. They do not feel confident. Now, we'll get more into this post-bowl game and everything, but when you're looking at the last two classes, Nick, and you're seeing Dylan Risk, and you're seeing, seeing Riley Trujillo, and now you bring the 2025 quarterback and say reclassify, he reclassifies to 24, you've got three young guys. I mean, by next year, if Dylan Risk, who knows, maybe Dylan Risk is QB1 next year. He has a full year of development, and he goes into year two just slinging it. Who knows? But... I think they're clearly going after the development, like you said, and saying we might go after a one-year rental in the Big 12. That's two years with a, a you know a solid quarterback play, and then maybe you go into year three with a youngster and say, let's see what he can do. I mean, like at the end of the day, again, you want to have options. You don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into one guy. And you look at even UCF's quarterback room, you know, this time last year, we're looking at JRP, we're looking at Mikey Keene. We're looking at Tommy Castellanos. We're looking at Timmy McLean. And if I, was Parker still here? Did he transfer last year or was it the year before that? Oh, I have no idea. Parker, I yeah, probably, think, la- but probably a year before. I think it feels like it was longer. I don't know. But he just started his first game, you know, in that bowl game for Ohio. It was like the Myrtle Beach Bowl or something. I believe they won. So my point is, is like they've had a lot of talent in that room over the past few years. I think, and again, not all these guys are going to stay. Let's be realistic. At least two of these guys eventually that you said are most likely going to hit the portal, especially as you oh, continue once to they get pick, through this once process. They pick a starter, once they pick a starter between those three, whoever doesn't start is transferring. Right, and you have to think about other classes moving forward because even yep. though you have a guy at quarterback and you've identified him as you want him, it doesn't mean you don't recruit the position. It doesn't mean you don't add to it. In fact, I think it's more detrimental especially at the quarterback position, if you don't get at least one quarterback every class, I don't think that's yeah. healthy for your program. So, no. and who knows? Maybe somebody else even more talented than EJ Colson, you know, more heralded than him comes along. You never know. So that's why a lot of this is really going to be in flux the next couple of years. But having that talent there, again, like I've said earlier in the show, you can come in with all the expectations in the world. You can come in with all the, the pedigree and all that, but – when you get on campus, I think all that goes out the window, and it's just about who can play the best ball at the end of the day. So, yeah, I agree. At least for at least looking ahead to next year, those three guys are probably going to be battling it out, and it, it looks like for this upcoming year, it's most likely going to be, you know, Timmy's in the driver's seat, I think, at the moment. Not just giving it to him by any means, but of the guys on the roster, he's probably in the driver's seat, and then depending on if they add a quarterback in this portal. Yeah, and that's we will definitely be on the lookout and watching over the next couple weeks. I know there's a dead period for visits until January 3rd. So, I mean, again, we'll talk KJ probably next week or week, a week after. Um, but you won't see probably a quarterback commit until first or second week of January. Um, so right now you have the quarterbacks you have on the roster. And again, we'll get into all of that post-bowl game where we can kind of really look at the roster as a whole, see who's coming back, who's declining. Because again, as of right now, we don't know if RJ Harvey's coming back. We don't know if Javon Baker's coming back. You have some key guys um, that we don't even know if they're going to be here in 24, which would change up a lot. So that was the 2024 class and a note for the 2024 class. In this day and age of decommitting, recommitting, uh, transferring, all of that, I think it is Ultra impressive. I think UCF really, because they had, um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name. We had a couple commits that were originally committed to UCF and decommitted. One played at Wakiva, Sincere Edwards. Sincere Edwards, he was committed to UCF. He decommitted early and then committed to Pitt. Then you have Day-Day Farmer, who was originally committed to us, decommits, and okay, goes to West Virginia. To keep a class like this, almost feel like a family and have them kind of stay, stake their claim, stake their ground, say we're committed to UCF, not really take any more visits, really just keep their commitment. I think that says a lot about the staff. And again, Nick mentioned at the top, for all of the Gus haters, you can you can criticize coaching decisions, you can criticize all of that. 
whatever's inside that building is clearly resonating with recruits, resonating with transfers, and resonating with their own players. Because at the end of the day, your own players talk to recruits. And if it's not that great, and your own players are like, yeah, it's, it is what it is, you're not getting back-to-back-to-back best classes in program history. Right, and, and, and think about it, too, from the standpoint of, again, question Gus as a coach all you want, but as a recruiter, there's got to be something there that you can hang your hat on. And I almost compare the situation, even though it's probably an unfair comparison, is, is to what's happening at Florida in real time right now. Billy Napier, a lot of questions about his ability to coach at that level. What's his, hang- what's his saving grace? His ability to recruit. What was his saving grace after two really disappointing seasons and now a daunting schedule waiting? His top three recruiting class, which at this time has now dropped all the way to 15 and is, is crumbling. And now you have to do everything you can to save it with Lagway and McCray, who seem like they're flirting with some other schools here down the line. I don't even know yeah. if either of them are going to sign today. I don't know. So I think that's kind of my point there is Gus at least is getting the recruiting correct. He's doing all the right things in that in in that kind of direction. And when you, you think about it now, now that you're on somewhat of a more even footing with those three schools, the big three historically, Florida, Florida State, and Miami, you know, the next few years are gonna get to a point where you want to see them continue to go to bat with those big boys and see what's going on. And, you know, I think UCF right now, they've inched closer. And I like to think in the next two, three years, you're going to continue to move in that direction as long as you continue to win games as well in the Big 12. So, yeah, I, I think Gus I think Gus has, has done very well from that aspect. I know it's saying a lot because NIL matters and all this stuff, but I think it is only a matter of time before UCF really grabs their first five-star. It's only a matter of time given the state you're in, the recruiting you've been doing over the past couple of years, unless there's not that many five stars out there and you can build a quality contending, you know, championship level team with four star and three star athletes. But yeah, and, and, and also, I mean, all it takes sometimes is kind of geography, kind of like you said, yep. there could be a really talented five star that grows out of that central Florida Orlando type area down the line. And as we've seen, if you look at the class, this current class, I mean, the number two overall player in this class, he's from uh, Lee Summit, Missouri. Guess who he signed with? Missouri. Now, do you ever think Missouri was going to sign a the number two player in the class? No. You probably wouldn't think that. But guess what? The number two player in the class was born in their backyard. And you were in the driver's seat for that. Texas Tech is the same thing. They signed a top player, and guess where he was born? In Temple, right down the road from Texas Tech, in their backyard. And Texas Tech is able to land a top 10 player in this class. So it's so random like that. And all it takes is one to kind of open up the floodgates and put you in a better position moving forward. Which I think John Walker did last year, and I think that's only helped the the classes. And it will only help and continue to help the classes every year that you get somebody this year. It was Jalen Hayward. He was originally committed to Georgia. People were like, oh, okay, I, I, I feel comfortable committing to UCF. Somebody like that committed. So what a job well done by the staff, again, to keep all these guys. Now they kind of go and start to do 2025, keeping the guys that you've had committed. Tavion Swint's been committed for, hell, a year and a half or a year or whatever. Keeping the guys you have committed and going to get you know the next best recruiting class to keep building and keep growing your program. All right. 50 minutes after that, which, again, we always love to go over, we are going to quickly talk about the bowl game that nobody seems to care about in the last couple weeks. Now, granted, the bowl game means a lot. I want to make it very clear. I care about the bowl game. I'll be in attendance. I love the bowl game. I love going to a bowl game. Here's the thing. It's such a you know BS type of thing because it's like if UCF didn't go to a bowl game, everybody would be complaining about a bowl game. UCF's going to a bowl game, and it's like, eh. But I give UCF fans credit. They sold out their ticket allotment. I'm sure it's going to be rocking at Raymond James. And credit to Georgia Tech fans. They haven't been to a bowl game in five years. Seems like they bought all their, all their allotment. So really excited for the game. Nick, what have you seen out of Georgia Tech? Obviously, I know you're an ACC kind of fan. Georgia Tech under Brent Key this year has been much improved. Much improved. Uh, offensively dangerous. Defensively dangerous. What have you seen out of Georgia Tech? And, and listen, I know players will be sitting, right? But um, what challenges do you see on the outside that they present uh, for the Knights on Friday? Yeah, 
a large part of this is who's going to play and who's not who's not going to play, like you kind of said. And I think we're still trying to wait to see what UCF is going to look like. Unless I've missed something, it still seems like we're a little up in the air on some of these bigger name players. Is that correct? For us or for George Deck? For, for UCF. UCF, everybody's basically playing except Corey Thornton. Corey Thornton transferred every we even have some we even have some like receivers and stuff that are transferring that have already announced where they're transferring and they're going to be playing in the bowl game. So we're we're there you basically go. so we're gonna strength. be we're gonna be close to full strength. And even Georgia Tech, they had some big players as well. Uh, Errol Singleton, Mikhail Rutherford, Jamal Haynes. Uh, they announced they're going to return for another season, so I'm, I'm assuming they're going to play in this game. And the same goes for Haynes King. I think he was the big one, and he was pretty straightforward after that final game that he was going to play in that bowl game. And so that kind of changes things from a Georgia Tech standpoint. I thought he had a really, really solid year this season for Georgia Tech and the ACC. Um, kind of out outweighed, I think, or uh, out he outdid, I think, what I thought he was going to do at Georgia Tech. Um and but he's going to be there. Georgia Tech, you look at their season, it's kind of been interesting. I mean, they went from losing games to Bowling Green, Sean. Bowling Green and then getting completely blown off the ball by Boston College, but then they were able to pick up wins over Miami, they picked up win a win over North Carolina, um and then in the last game of the season, they played Georgia pretty tough. Um yep. in that rivalry game, I think lost by 8. So I think Georgia Tech clearly was ascending as the season went on. They were able to get bowl eligible, like you said, in the first year uh, of of uh, Brett Pry. So, and I believe he's got a lot of connections to UCF too. Correct. He was on. He was with O'Leary yeah. for a while. No, yeah, Brent Key's been. Uh, he Brent Key coached here. Yeah, Brent Key. That's right. Good. He coached here for ten years from 05 to fifteen. Um, and he was actually set up to be the head coach. Of UCF, I think UCF had to pay him like seven hundred thousand um, dollars the season after, or O'Leary left so that we could hire Scott Frost. So this was after the own twelve season. So he could have been the head coach at UCF, but UCF just said, "Nope, we'll buy you out and uh, we'll go hire Scott Frost," which changed the program. Right, and but so as I said, you know, Georgia Tech is ascending, but I also think UCF, given the way they ended their season, I think they ended it on such a high note. With mm-hmm. that game against Houston to get to bowl eligible to get bowl eligible, I mean, and you got all these guys. I mean, clearly they care. I mean, you you enter the transfer portal and you're still interested in coming back. You're kind of in limbo if you want to come back for another year or go in or or uh, declare for the NFL draft. And these guys are still playing, so clearly this means something to them to end this on a high note. And let's be honest, seven and six just looks a hell of a lot better than six and seven at the end of the year. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's be honest. And you get to seven wins. I've already said six and six was six and six was a success. Seven mm-hmm. and six with a win over a power five program in a bowl game. Um, that would be a, a massive, massive success in year one in the Big Twelve, on top of the good recruiting news. So definitely gonna be jacked up for that when it happens on Friday night. And again, we get to play this game here in uh, Raymond James. It, it, it you know, UCF and Raymond James Stadium, man. It just even when you think that it ain't gonna happen, it happens. It happens. Like, I don't even remember the last time now officially they haven't played at Raymond James Stadium. Like, it just it's seems like... Five, Traymond Morris Brash is fifth... It's his fifth year, and he's played at Raymond James every single that's just, year. That's just crazy. Career. That's crazy. We had, I mean, recent year, it was the, uh, the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl in 2019. Yeah. It's Marshall. Uh, the Gasparilla Bowl, which we'll never forget. Played at USF Florida. two times. And the then... USF games mixed in there, and now this that's... one against Georgia Tech. So... Second and, home. And plus, I got a sour taste in my mouth still about last year with that bowl game against Duke. That just was ugh, was not great. So let's get that out of our mouths. Let's take down a big uh, a Power 5 opponent. Which I will think it will be interesting because I think if UCF goes out and wins, which we'll talk about some of the players right now before we end it, UCF season this season will be a complete flip from last season. Last season, the middle was kind of UCF's bread and butter where they're like, they're ascending to this team that we're all excited to see. Then back half, I think they lost three out of the last four. This year had a really bad middle of the year. And now you're getting to the end season where you win your three out of your last four, potentially four out of your last five and end on a high note, which kind of just changes the mindset of what you are going into next year. And, Listen, I think a lot of people are going to just strictly assume, based off the, whatever quarterback UCF gets, 
next year will be a lot better or they'll make a jump because of if you look at the games this year it was you know we'll get into they, it postseason. They, they're I'm, even I'm going on they're already so yeah they're already so far ahead I mean if you just compare them to the four schools that came in together they're already so far ahead of those other schools yeah like they've like I said look at the recruiting I mean we're we're we're, we're competing for spots with Texas Tech and TCU and Colorado none of those other schools are doing that and I think no. the product on the field was different too so you've already got the lead in there in that standpoint you've kind of just moved on and now you're it's about competing now in the Big 12. And this would be a big one to get this and have some momentum going to next year. Let's quickly talk Georgia Tech. A couple of the key players to look out for. Obviously, number one is Haynes King. He scares me. Uh, listen, just plain and simple. A guy, again, dual threat, can really beat you with his legs. Um, 26 touchdowns on the year with 15 interceptions. He's got nine touchdowns on the ground. Ran for 648 yards epitome of dual threat can beat you both ways i mean the interception numbers i think are kind of what can save ucf obviously turning over the football uh, at any time can really give the other team um some some momentum that's probably why georgia tech is six and six and not better because i mean if you look at his numbers if your quarterback's putting up those type of numbers you better watch out um I kind of, it really does remind me last year of of the Duke game, Nick. I mean, you look at Riley Leonard, a guy that can really beat you kind of both ways. You look at it for UCF and you're like, can we contain this guy? We haven't proven that we contain, can contain a guy like that. We've contained Ollie Gordon, which was really good. But again, quarterback's a different position. And again, they also have an almost thousand yard rusher with Jamal Hayes, who has 931 yards on the year and seven touchdowns. So as a defense that has struggled, has been much better in the back half of the year, how do you contain a guy like him, or both of them, in King and Haynes, and and how do you make sure that the defense ends on a high note and doesn't let this just become a complete shootout? Yeah, and I think the odds makers kind of view it as a shootout. I think the over-under is like 67 and a half, so the money's telling you it's going to be a shootout. And that really wouldn't surprise me, to be honest with you. No. I, I, don't, I think Georgia Tech can move the football. UCF clearly can do it. But, you know, I look at incentives in some of these games. You know, Georgia Tech has a lot of players who, yes, are coming back. Like I mentioned, Haynes, the running back, and Singleton, their leading receiver. So, you know... They're going to get another crack at this. But I look at UCF and at least on the offensive side of the ball, like Timmy McLean is going to be, is JRP. JRP is going to play in this game, right? Yep, he's playing. Yeah. Excuse me if I'm so all over the place with this game, but recruiting has taken just center stage in my mind over this game. But this is the last rodeo for JRP. Um, and I think he wants to go out with a bang. And also, too, I mean, you think about it, he's also been a full month essentially off the field and so we already talked about that that leg how it was getting healthier as the year went on you probably expect him to be as close to 100 percent as he possibly can be after yep. that injury so that's a big thing for ucf's offense the defense like you said how are you going to stop haynes king how are you going to stop haynes king i mean i kind of view this as a shootout to be honest with you i kind of agree with the odds makers but you know ultimately this is this is this place, Raymond James Stadium. There's something about it. This team gets up for it, and I just don't see them losing inside that stadium. I really don't, Sean. I really don't. So I know they're an underdog, like four and a half point underdog. I think that's a little crazy to me. Um, Are we know. an underdog? We're a four and a half point underdog. Really? When I saw, I thought game, we were. Man. I think we were. Hold on, let me look at that. I thought we were favored by four and a half. Maybe the odds completely shifted, which I don't love. Usually when that happens, something... Well, and Ricky Barber's going to play. Yeah, no, UCF is favorite at four and a half. Uh, Fox Sports has Did it I read that? Maybe I read it wrong. It is just not next day, folks. It's not your day. It's okay. Everybody has those days. Hannah Montana. Remember, everybody <laughs> has those days. That's that's. I know. I I was looking at it earlier this morning, and I I know for a fact it said Georgia Tech was the favorite. But now here I am, and it says they're four and a half point yeah. underdogs. So you know what? Yeah, I don't Maybe know if it was, it was a for a fact. Maybe it was mm. just a typo, and I'm just gonna shift blame elsewhere. Maybe it was your eyes, but listen. No, I'm looking it, at it right here. I got. I pulled up the exact article that I pulled it from, and it says Georgia Tech four and a half. 
Hmm. But then I have another one pulled up from Fox and they, if I'm Fox sports and they say UCF is the four and a half point favorite. So I've seen there was a typo that got to me here. Probably, but I will say more, most of them, um, Oh, well, if we look at Sports Illustrated, the SP Plus predicts that Georgia Tech will lose to UCF by a score of 32 to 26 and is giving UCF a 63% chance to win the game. Um, See, I think it's going to be more high scoring than that. I really do. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be Georgia Tech North Carolina 2.0, if I'm being honest. Chip Lindsey now at North Carolina. I think and listen, Georgia Tech's defense is not bad. Georgia Tech's defense is physical, but again, UCF's offense has been able to score on basically anybody they played all year, so it would not shock me here. Let's go into predictions. Again, one of our worst previews of the year, Nick. I probably the worst preview we can give. And that's saying something because we played Kent State. So I mean, this is our worst preview of the year by far. Um, but I promise our post game will be much better when we go through the actual we, game. We got one more in me. We got one more in us, Sean, to see if we can get this right. One more. One more. All right. Um, I'll let you give your prediction before I give mine. Uh, what do you think Gasparilla Bowl, basically the UCF Bowl, playing it every other year, uh, going down to Tampa, going to be a packed Raymond Jane Stadium. Packed. Hopefully Georgia Tech fans show up to make it a really good bowl game. Uh, what is your prediction for this one? Yeah, I said I, I, th- I like the over on this. Um, I'm going UCF uh, 41 and I'm going Georgia Tech 35. I think both teams are going to be able to move the ball. and But I love UCF getting Plumlee back and hopefully being as healthy as he possibly can his last collegiate football game. Let's go out on a high note. Obviously, hard, uh, RJ Harvey is going to be a big part of this as well. So I like UCF by six. I like UCF by six in this one. John Rice has had weeks to kind of nurse that leg. It's probably closer to 100% than ever. Uh, Ricky Barber will also be coming back. He's been, you know, dealing with injuries all year, uh, which will be great to get him back. Uh, basically, nobody's sitting out of the bowl game. DeCorey Patterson will fill in um, at starting corner spot for Corey Thornton. Not much of a trade off there, to be completely honest with you. I'm going to say UCF loses this game. I'm gonna go Georgia. I'm gonna go Georgia Tech here. Um, I'm gonna say 38 to 34. Uh, listen, I'm gonna try and be a positive jinx here. Uh, I forget. I think we both said Duke was gonna lose to UCF last year, and look how that backfired. Bowl we games didn't say are weird. That, did we? we I think we that, both we? picked UCF, which is you know, I, I think we did. Um, I'm gonna listen. Do I think UCF has a really good chance to win? Yes. I think UCF has the way has a much better offense. Um, I don't think they have the better defense. And in a game like this, I do think Georgia Tech is going to be able to put up points. Again, Haynes King is a guy that can beat UCF doing it both ways. I think they're just going to try and run the football. Again, it, it, that's what every team has tried to do. The big question is, can UCF respond? And can UCF stop the run? Georgia Tech has been known to run the ball effectively this year. And again, they've got a quarterback that can do it. I would not be shocked if UCF won this game. I obviously want them to win, and I think they have a good chance to do it. But in the Christmas spirit of not trying to really sell this game by both of us picking UCF, I'm going to pick Georgia Tech. And also, when you think about it, this is a huge game for Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has not been to a bowl game in five years. They have not been to a bowl game since 2018. You cannot tell me that around that program, around that school, it has not been a buzz that they're even going to a bowl game. The buzz when it got announced we were going to the Gasparilla Bowl was people complaining, people shaming us going to the Gasparilla Bowl for the third time in six years, just complaining, complaining, complaining. So, again, I think the vibes around the UCF program has been good. From what I'm hearing, it's much better than Duke last year because it just seemed like everybody was down in the dumps after losing the conference championship. So I'm assuming it's going to be a much better showing this time around. But for the Christmas spirit and hoping that UCF wins, I'm going to pick Georgia Tech. That's fair. That's fair. You don't make a bad argument at all. That's why now I have good excuses for if UCF does lose, I'll say we just didn't want it. They wanted the bowl game win. They haven't been to one in five years. Hey, uh, last thing. I do want to mention this before we sign off. I know we've already gone way over, but I feel like this is worth getting in. 
Uh, the news yesterday that Ryan O'Keefe is stepping away from football, medically yeah. retiring. I felt like it was worth putting uh, mentioning this today because one of the most exciting players that I think I've seen in UCF in the past in recent memory, he gave us the the great moment in that Gasparilla Bowl, putting up the two for Otis. Always going to remember that. I was in the building covering that game. So obviously very unfortunate this had to happen to Ryan, but I think whatever he does, he's going to kill it afterwards. So shout out Ryan O'Keefe. Well said. Shout out Ryan O'Keefe, one of and is a UCF legend uh, for his time here. And uh, hopefully when whatever he does next, I hope it's with UCF. If not, he's going to kill him, whatever he does. Um, So very well said, Nick. All right, everybody. Uh, You're welcome for the long episode. Yeah, over an hour. Uh, Bowl game on Friday. We're we're recording this Wednesday, December 20th. This is going up as soon as I edit it. So Wednesday episode, um, game on Friday. Like I said, please go to the Etsy shop if you want some of these hats. We would greatly appreciate you buying them. Again, I'll be at the bowl game. Uh, If you guys see me, come say hi. Would love to see you guys. And, uh, yeah, let's go get a win on Friday and then take a little bit of a chill pill with all this news because I need a drink uh, after the past week and a half. All right, guys, this has been Charge On presented by Bet Online. We will see you on Sunday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.